This is Vintage Broadcasting. The following is a study through the Book of Philippians. My name is Frank Goss. I hope this study proves beneficial to you in the days to come. I thank you very much. Okay, we're starting our second chapter in Philippians here. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to him in a very heartfelt manner. I agree that the Bible is a holy, holy book. It is written, inspired, and God-breathed. There's no doubt about that. However, often we get so caught up in that idea of holiness that we lose the practical application and try to make things mystical and uh, mysterious. And I believe that's where a lot of times we lose the practicality of the Bible. Paul is saying right here in Philippians 2, verse 1, he says, look, if y'all have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort in his love, any consolation in his love that you've experienced, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love that you see in Christ. Be one in spirit and purpose. Have the same love within the body. Paul, if you remember, is speaking to the church. I have uh, two siblings in my family, a brother and a sister. Also, I have five children, and they've produced a tribe of ten grandchildren. And each one is extremely precious to my wife and I, and each one has a nickname. My mother, she lives in central Mississippi, a small town where she was raised. And speaking with her, she often laments our absence. She's lonely, and I feel her loneliness quite often. All of my children live in close proximity, within a few miles, actually. The unity we have is worth more than you can imagine. And when this is interrupted, I'm personally troubled, actually deeply troubled. When my children do not get along, I think about it and I wonder why. I pray, I talk, I try to allow the Lord to do what he is wanting to do without interfering. I don't like to see or hear any arguments or attitudes in my family. I don't. It bothers me. We're pulled and pushed in the world that we live in today. And their families and mine are often separated by trade and professions. You have a son in Colorado and then a daughter that marries a young man and they move down to Florida. Now our love goes with them, as do our prayers, but we often long to see them when they hurt or when the holidays come or on their birthdays. I see this as a necessity, and of course in life it's something that happens. It indicates that the unity we have with them is so vital and important, and it must be developed from birth and nurtured into adulthood. It can't be ignored now because they're far away. Our love goes with them, right? Our heart is still with them. That's what we see in Paul here. As he's writing to the Philippians, he's far away. He's sitting in a jail cell in Rome, and yet his heart is standing right with the Philippians. Paul brings this out in addressing his letter to the Philippians. There's a dire need for close relationships within the body of Christ, and it's not so our performance is viewed by those outside the church either. A lot of people say we need to protect our reputation because of that. That is true. But our attitude is based on the love of God. Everything goes back to the love of God. We are not in a theatrical production that performs for the world. It's so that we in Christ understand the love of God that we have unity in Christ. Unity is a priceless treasure that must be maintained and protected. It's critical. And this is what Paul is addressing when he says that we're to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. 
there is the idea of battle. Contending suggests wrestling in the company with others, jointly striving together. And keep in mind that Rome was not pleased with the advance of the gospel, and Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, when you walk among wolves, you need to stay close together. It's a family relationship. Battle is a secondary issue, though, when it comes to unity. Unity must be prepared in advance and established beforehand. It's been proven that soldiers who are constantly on duty, always training and fighting in battle, find it quite difficult to let the attitude of unity go when the enemy is vanquished. They have a deep love for one another and a true commitment to one another. So when you're not in battle, what do you do? Are we to forget about the enemy? Are we to forget about our unity and drift apart? No. Are we to lay down our weapons and just go our own way? No. You go to your house, I'll go to my house. Call me when you can, okay? Now that's the problem we're having today. That is where we are at in our understanding and actual living today. The church today is strong and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But what we see as an expression of the church is somewhat disjointed, and unity is a challenge to maintain. Christian unity is needed in our mutual relationship to Christ and to others. It's also needed in our knowledge of Christ. Unity is always based on our fellowship with Christ. If this fellowship with Christ grows weak, then we find ourselves breaking with the church, questioning the authority and complaining about one another. And these things always indicate a fracture at some point in our walk with Christ. When we maintain our love for Christ, we find that our fellowship in the body is maintained as well. It may have its moments, but that's part of working out our unity. That's part of being a family. The first thing that Paul focuses on here is encouragement. If there is any encouragement, he says, it's the first reality that he points to. Is this some whispering voice that blows through the room? No, it's not. It's not an impression or some mystical feeling that some spirit touches you with. It's the practical encouragement that Christ spoke to his followers. It's the instruction he verbally gave while teaching them how to walk with God and what God desires and expects. You may want to know how to live together with others within the church. Well, this is how you do it. Here's the practical applications of that. If there's any encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation in the love of Christ, any exhortation, here's how we are to do it. Paul begins to teach the church at Philippi the details of how to stay together as a body. We have what we need to know recorded all through Scripture. We read, we study, and we incorporate God's instructions in our daily lives, individually and within the church. Now, we can try to outthink God and spend hours dividing up what he has to say. But again, that is where we begin to get things all muddied up. The principles Christ taught are exceptionally practical and eternally profound, but clear and easily understood. He taught the disciples to covet the lowest places at the table in Matthew 23, 6. Well, how would you personally understand that? How would you apply that? Jesus was telling these disciples to give honor to the next guy. Don't seek honor for yourself. Love and respect your neighbor. That's your highest virtue. And here's how the Bible explains it. If we go to Mark chapter 12, we'll see an argument that Christ was having in the streets. He was hated by the ruling Jews. He had spoken ill of them, rebuking them for their practices of misleading people with misinformation. He bruised their ego, and this incited them to the point that they wanted him arrested. 
They wanted to show him exactly who was in charge, so they began to look for a reason to have him arrested. So they sent a Pharisee who was quick with words and apparently very, very intelligent, and he was going to trap Jesus into saying something that would be considered blasphemous. And at that point, they could take him before the Romans and accuse him of seeking to cause an insurrection and trouble among the people by teaching false doctrine. These things would cause a rebellion and trouble in the streets. The Romans would have none of that, so they would shut Jesus down quickly, perhaps for good. So the highly intelligent man comes and begins to ask questions. Jesus stunned him with the answers that were extremely practical and logical and correct. There was nothing he could say in response. The people had stopped to hear what was being said. People were watching and listening, and they marveled at how he was standing toe-to-toe with this venerated representative of the Sanhedrin. Then others began to ask questions, and they too were given answers that referred back to the book of Moses. And finally, a scribe came along who had been listening into the conversation and was impressed with how Jesus was answering their questions. So he asked Jesus, What commandment is the first and most important? The Lord answered, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But he didn't stop there. He kept talking and he said, The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The man listened and considered what Jesus had said, and he understood And Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. In that discussion in the street, Jesus taught the world a particular truth that we still hold to. We're to love. And love is going to be the first thing to consider. If there's any consolation of love. Now, the word consolation in the original Greek is paramutheon, which carries the meaning also of exhortation. Paul is saying, look, if there's any encouragement... If we're given any sort of exhortation, it's to love. We're to be persuaded to love one another. Now, remember, Paul is addressing those who've been born of God. He's speaking to the church at Philippi. Love exceeds emotion. It's not some romantic notion that leaves us all warm and fuzzy. It's a determined and fixed attitude within our mind. We understand the love of Christ. It's not dripping with emotion. It's practical and it's practiced. And we can see through his example a true consolation. Christ loved us in such a way while we were lying on the roadside, as it were. And he cares for us in a manner that is inexplicable. He's tender when others are cruel. He knows and he understands and does what is needing to be done when others won't. He accepts us when others reject us. Consolation gives reference to the love of God in Christ Jesus. In showing us love, We're exhorted to love as he has loved. We're compelled by the love of Christ to love others in like manner. So if we step back and recall the conversation with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 12, we'll see that all this begins with this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is your motivation. We love because we've been loved. So the question comes up, do you understand the love of God? Can you see how he exercised and applied love in all that he did? Now see how he applied his love in dealing with you. If you know the love of God, both intellectually and experientially, it will motivate you to action. And it gives you both a tremendous consolation and a comfort. 
and a true exhortation to go and do likewise. And this is what Paul is saying in just such a few words. These things are very important. But if we're to be honest with one another, we need to point out that we're always going to be tempted to be divisive in a way that we can hurt the witness of the church. And if we have strong-minded men within the church, there will be challenges, I assure you. If one man tends to dominate the room, feelings are going to be challenged and offenses will be taken. And we'll need to take extra precaution to ensure that unity will be maintained. There will always be constant pressure from sin within Christians in the church. Sin, if known and practiced, should we allow it to continue, will eventually destroy Christian unity and nullify our witness as a body. Now, what will hold us together is when we recognize the fact of God's Word and how He tells us to act in such situations, and we do so with a determined attitude to follow and obey God's Word, we will see the blessings of God. Love must be practiced, fellowship maintained, mercy shown, and compassion displayed by you and by the entire church, and the sin must be confronted. The shepherd of any church has a difficult job to do. It's his job to see that this unity and the rules of unity are enforced and practiced. And we, as the congregation, must walk according to the Word of God and willingly submit to what it has to say. Now, have you been seeking to develop these qualities in your life? The big challenge is within your marriage and in your home. What you practice there is what you will practice in public. And your attitudes that govern there will be the attitudes that govern in the house of God. Your relationship to God, knowing the love and the encouragement and the consolation that is found in fellowship with Him, will be revealed in how you react to the body of Christ. You'll see these attitudes and these realities nourished and fleshed out in your relationships with other Christians. Thank you very much for following along in our study on Philippians, and we hope that you continue as we continue with the study here. You are well appreciated, and we hope that this has been of great benefit to you. Thank you very much.